Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1 800 858 858. In the Huddle was created to give student athletes, parents, and coaches an inside look at the journey through US college sport and all that comes with it. The demands, the experiences, the excitement, and the opportunities available to our student athletes from around the world. Study and Play USA facilitates a comprehensive, customized approach for student athletes and families for their whole journey from their high school preparation years right through to US college graduation. Hi, and welcome to this episode of In the Huddle. My name is Alexia Bates, a talent manager here at Study and Play USA. From time to time, we want our listeners to hear from experts, leading experts in their field. Today's guest is an industry-leading expert on one of the most underrated aspects of U.S. collegiate sport, the topic of eligibility. Rick Allen, who heads a U.S.-based company called Informed Athlete, has been working with Study and Play USA since our first days in 2004 and is with us to discuss everything from becoming academically eligible for U.S. college sport to how the governing bodies of college sport have handled the COVID-19 situation and the impacts of these decisions on prospective student athletes. Rick, hi, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's my pleasure, Alexia. Thanks for the opportunity. So you've spent a good part of your life guiding student athletes to become eligible for this pathway. Can you tell us a little bit of your background with, uh, within this industry? Sure. So um, I started at University of Illinois and uh, worked in the compliance role there. I actually kind of gradually moved into the uh, role of the NCAA compliance administrator uh, there at Illinois, and I was there for a number of years before uh, moving on to Oklahoma State, which is where I met Chris. Yeah. Uh, and after being at Oklahoma State for a number of years, I then shifted into consulting with college athletic departments across the country. Uh, during that part section of time, uh, our son was being recruited uh, by college baseball teams. Uh, and actually, Julie suggested the idea that, uh, you know, you get a lot of these questions at the ballpark and in the parking lot, and we could start a business where you could provide that service directly to families. And so that's kind of what started Informed Athlete uh, and the services we provide now. I love that. I think very similar to how Study and Play USA started quite organically, um, which is the best way, I think. Um, but pretty cool that you've been through this process, you know, for your son as well. How was that? So I look back on that, Alexia, and actually one of the another reason that kind of spurred us to start Informed Athlete is I look back on that. And I look at some of the mistakes that I, in hindsight, I kind of feel that, that 
I made in mm -hmm. advising him and giving him some guidance, even though I'd worked in college athletics for years. You know, it was a little yeah. bit different being in the role of a father compared to just working it at a university. And so that was another aspect that kind of spurred us to start this service. Okay. And you, you touched on your time at Oklahoma State University. Um, I do remember, you know, Chris, my husband, telling me that, you know, your advice helped him back all the way back in 1997 when he was at Oklahoma State University, um, when he arrived on campus with some eligibility issues. Um, can you recall those days well? Well, first of all, Alexa, you didn't have to say the year. You know, you dated <laughs> Chris and I when you mentioned the year. Uh, <laughs> Ricky is older than me, so, you know, I do like to throw that in there occasionally. Okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I definitely, you know, have uh, memories of, of working with Chris uh, during his time as a tennis student athlete there and uh, specifically remember helping him when uh, – and he had an eligibility situation when he had to miss a semester of school for a health issue. And there were some waivers uh, that were needed and some hoops we had to jump through to keep him eligible. But uh, definitely remember uh, working with him on that. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's nice to have that, um, you know, those memories of how that, you know, your, you know, relationship, I suppose, started. So that, that's great. No, uh, it, it's definitely great to still be, you know, to be working with uh, Chris and you, of course, uh, all these number of years after first meeting him as a student athlete. It's very it rewarding. Is. It is. Um, so, Rick, the goal for us in today's episode is for the listeners to really walk away from this podcast with their eyes opened regarding the importance of eligibility in pursuing the U.S. college pathway. Before we delve into it, uh, I think we probably need to provide a quick glossary of terms or synonyms so that listeners who are new to this process can follow along more easily. Um, so I'm going to ask you, Rick, to quickly break down the three main governing bodies of collegiate sport. So there's the NCAA, uh, which stands for the National Collegiate Athletics Association, the NAIA, the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, and the NJCAA, the National Junior College Athletics Association. Um, would you quickly break these down for listeners who may have never heard of these? Sure, I'd be glad to do that. So Alexa, the NCAA is the largest and most well-known governing body for college athletics uh, here in the States. The NCAA actually, it, it uh, is comprised of over a thousand colleges and universities divided into three divisions. Uh, there's NCAA Division One is the largest and the most, I guess you could say the most prestigious division. The largest universities in the country are in Division One, And then Division Two uh, is um, kind of your, your, I wouldn't say your smaller schools necessarily. Some of them are large by enrollment, but their athletic programs are not as large. They typically don't uh, provide as much in scholarship dollars for athletes and so forth. And then you have NCAA Division Three, and those programs do not provide athletic scholarships. Now, they may have substantial endowments and may be able to pro provide academic scholarships or other types of scholarships uh, 
but they cannot provide scholarships based strictly on athletic ability. Mm-hmm. So there's those three divisions of the NCAA. Then the NAIA is another organization of four-year colleges and universities. They are, for the most part, small universities, enrollment of maybe 1,000 to 2,000, maybe less than that. Many of them are affiliated with uh, uh, church organizations, Methodist Church, Lutheran Church, etc. And then the NJCAA, the National Junior College Athletic Association, is comprised of two-year colleges that focus on freshman and sophomore level courses. Many athletes start at that level uh, with the goal of them getting recruited from the two-year college level onto the NCAA or NAIA level. I might also add quickly that the state of California has their own organization for two-year colleges. So that's yet another organization, the California Community College Athletic Association. But it's just for uh, two-year colleges in California. I think there's a couple outside the state, maybe in Oregon or Washington, Uh, Mm -hmm. but those colleges also cannot provide uh, athletic scholarships. I love that California have their own. (laughs) (laughs) They just, they are are unique in that regard. (laughs) Um, Thanks Rick. That um, I think that that breakdown is, is, is really important um, for our listeners to understand um, because, you know, from, just generally speaking, we don't have anything like that to compare to here in Australia. So it's good for them to get an understanding of, of all the different divisions of competition and what they mean. Um, so eligibility is a really broad word, but in essence, you know, what does eligibility mean in the context of collegiate sport? So, Primarily, Alexia, eligibility for collegiate sports um, breaks down into two categories, basically. There's academic eligibility. So student athletes, no matter what level they're competing at here in the U.S. system in college athletics, they must be maintaining certain academic requirements to be eligible to compete in their sport. And then the other main aspect is amateurism eligibility. Uh, And, you know, that is, um, has the athlete done anything to cause them to be considered professional? Have they ever accepted money from an agent? Have they ever had an agent represent them to professional teams? Uh, Have they ever competed with other professionals on a team? Uh, and then actually, I might add, there's a, I guess you could say there's a third aspect of eligibility, and that's the number of seasons of eligibility, how much, how many seasons of eligibility does an athlete have? Um, and in general, uh, college athletes are allowed uh, to compete in four seasons. So if they're at an NCAA school for all four years, they can compete for four seasons at that NCAA university. If they start out at a two-year college, they can compete two years there, and then they have two years left at the four-year college level. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are the three main aspects of eligibility. 
And I think that's um, probably one of the um, more frequent questions that we get. Um, it comes around the age of the student athlete. So we will have, um, you know, a parent say to us, oh, but my son or daughter is really young for their year, you know, their final year of high school. They're one of the youngest in their graduating class. And that's always something that I find we have to explain is, is about, it's not necessarily to do with age. It's to do with, you know, from when you've graduated from high school as well. That's right. When that, those, those seasons of competition can, can basically commence. Yes, there's two, you know, that's definitely a key aspect is when they graduate high school, and then another key aspect, as, as you know, we've discussed it a number of times. Another key aspect is when they begin uh, attending college as a full-time student mm -hmm. is, can be another key aspect of that when they're looking at uh, college athletics uh, here in the States. Yes. Um, we, we will often describe the eligibility process to our clients as a minefield, especially considering there are so many colleges, three different, you know, different divisions, three different governing bodies, all with different eligibility requirements. In your experience, Rick, what are the biggest barriers to eligibility for an everyday family looking to go to college in the U.S.? I would say the, the two biggest barriers we see are, number one, um, when um, athletes and families uh, aren't aware of the academic eligibility requirements to uh, compete here in the U.S. college system, uh, or maybe they even were aware of it, but the athlete didn't decide you know, I think I want to go compete in the U.S. system in college athletics. Maybe they didn't decide that um, soon enough and they weren't tracking on those academic eligibility requirements early enough. So that's one key aspect of that. And then the other one, as, as you well know from our interaction over the years, is because your educational calendar is different there in Australia, uh, we sometimes find the athletes um, run into problems because of what the colleges here, ref what we refer to as the delayed enrollment rule. Yeah. Uh, if they compete, keep competing in their sport after completing high school, but before enrolling in college as a full-time student. Right. Yes. And we, you know, we do get the, you know, those questions all the time. And, and it's so um, amazing to have you as a resource, Rick, from, from that side of things, because, you know, the, the NCAA alone, their, their um, legislation, I suppose, is hundreds and hundreds of pages long. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's so many rules and, you know, so many countries that the NCAA are dealing with that it's, um, you know, it's important to have a resource like yourself to, to help navigate that. Um, we mentioned, Rick, that you saved Chris's eligibility situation some 20 plus years ago. Sorry to mention that again. And <laughs> <laughs> um, from time to time, we sadly receive phone calls from families who you know, have undertaken this process without guidance or, and who find their son or daughters all the way 
to America only to find themselves ineligible. What's the best way to prevent this? I think the best way to uh, prevent those eligibility problems is if a family uh, has, you know, any idea at all, even if it's a small chance that they think uh, maybe our son or daughter has the desire or, and the athletic ability uh, or, you know, one or the other, if not both, uh, that they would like to come to the U.S., uh, to study and to compete in college athletics in their favorite sport is if they have any inkling at all that their athlete might want to do that, they should be learning more through your company, through ours, through other resources. What are those academic eligibility requirements, first of all, and what are those amateurism eligibility requirements? Um, yeah. You know, I mentioned a little bit the delayed enrollment rule. Um, and, and again, you know, we've talked about it a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if an athlete, let's say an athlete there in Australia graduates in November, December, they want to continue competing in their sport to improve their skill level or maybe get bigger and stronger. So they're concentrating on their sport before they go to college. Mm -hmm sometimes they run into problems with that delayed enrollment rule. So just seeking out the information from uh, your company or other resources to know in advance, okay, if our son or daughter wants to go do this, here are some of the things we need to be aware of, or here are the people we need to be talking to. Yeah, and I think um, also being aware too, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the, you know, admissions, you know, students can get all the way through and get admitted to a college, you know, and the eligibility can sometimes be in parallel to that, you know, whether it's through the NCAA or the NAIA. So you can be admitted to a college and go through that whole process, you know, and then still be ineligible because the NCAA or the NAIA process hasn't been followed correctly. That's correct. Uh, you know, NCAA, for example, uh, has a list of core courses that they require for athletes to be eligible in their freshman year at an NCAA Division One or Division Two university. Mm -hmm. So an athlete might be a good student, might have a strong grade point average, you know, might have a good test score, but if yeah. they haven't taken the right mix of courses, uh, you know, they may not meet those eligibility standards and it could impact them by making them ineligible uh, in their first year at an NCAA school and they might have to instead start at a two-year college. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that can be a pitfall as, you know, to not know that, you know, for, for international student athletes in particular, because, you think by being admitted to a college that, you know, that that means that everything is, is, is smooth and, and everything is going to be fine, but there's a whole nother part of the process, you know, with the eligibility that can impact your outcome as well. Right. And in fact, if, if I may, I might add, you know, being with your families, your athletes there in, in Australia and many of those families not 
uh, having exposure to college athletics like we have here in the states athletes or you know young athletes grow up in families going to college sporting events uh, going to a football game going to a tennis match a volleyball match etc and even those families sometimes um, what sometimes happens here is the coaches at the high school level they think it's the responsibility of the high school academic advisors to provide that information to the athletes. Mm. But on the other hand, the academic advisors think, well, this athlete is being coached by their tennis coach, their ba baseball coach, their, their track coach. That should be the individual giving them advice. Mm. And the athletes get, they fall in the cracks in the middle and they don't get the advice they need. That's right. That's right. And I, that's what I suppose we are really passionate about is, is for, you know, Australian student athletes or international student athletes, you know, we don't necessarily live and breathe the college system like, you know, American high school students where it's something that you it's spoken about from very early age. So, right. you know, here learning about those subject selections, you know, for the 16 core courses, you know, from grade nine, is really critical. Um, and even if you don't commit to the pathway, just to be able to set yourself up, you know, in case this is something that you want to do, you know, right. to be able to maximize your opportunities is, is what we find. So, you know, just letting people know that this, ex you know, that these requirements do exist and they start from as early as year nine, which is very different for our high school system because, you know, it's really focused on year 11 and 12 here. We're not used to making those considerations from such an early age. Um, and, and again, as you mentioned earlier, you know, what makes it more difficult is the eligibility requirements uh, here are different. You know, NCAA Division One has a set of eligibility requirements that is different than NCAA Division Two sports programs and also different than those colleges that are part of the NAIA organization. Yes. Yes. So I think minefield is, is a good description, Rick. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick, we know from working in this industry every day, you know, for many years now, the importance of staying up to date with these, you know, ever changing eligibility rules that we've just touched on. And perhaps there's, there's never been a year quite like 2020 for many things, including rules changes forced, <laughs> isn't it what <laughs> forced through COVID-19. Um, you know, can you talk us through some of the key rule changes that impact current student athletes, as well as those looking to go to college later in 2020 and then into, you know, 2021? So first of all, regarding current college athletes uh, here in, in the States, all of the uh, college organizations here, the NCAA, NAIA, junior colleges, have given spring sport athletes an additional year of eligibility to compete in their sport if they want to do so. Uh, because COVID-19 forced the colleges and universities to cancel their spring sport seasons, 
um, each organization has offered those athletes an opportunity to have an additional year of eligibility. And, and again, it's just for the spring sport athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to create uh, at many colleges bigger rosters next year. You know, athletes that are returning for another year who would have otherwise used up all of their college eligibility. Yeah. Um, so it's it's going to cause some overcrowded rosters in spring sports. And for those athletes at the high school level or even the two-year college level who were being recruited to four-year college programs, um, you know, again, the overcrowded rosters is, will there be a spot for them? Or even if there is a spot for them, it's going to be maybe harder to get playing time because now you have seniors returning uh, for another year of uh, competition. Right. Um, so, so that's the, the concern about the spring sport athletes. And then for fall, you know, the question of will there be a fall sports uh, season? Some college programs over here have already said they're not going to have a college sports season. And that varies a lot uh, from state to state based on their state health guidelines. Mm. Um, and then I might also add for those high school athletes um, who may not have been able to take the ACT or SAT test, Mm. or maybe their spring semester of of schooling was impacted by their high schools being shut down. That happened a lot here in the U.S. Um, The NCAA and NAII are providing some allowances uh, to give those athletes more opportunities to to be classified as eligible. A uh, quick example of, is uh, some of the high schools have gone from an ABCD grading scale this spring to a pass-fail. Right. So the organizations are giving them a few more allowances there. Right. And as we've seen through COVID-19, there have been some silver linings that often don't get publicized. Um, are there any positives that you can see arising from this situation that may positively impact collegiate sport moving forward? I think what I've seen so far, I think the main benefit may be that, um, you know, we're learning that uh, doing online classes where universities and colleges closed down and sent all their students home and they were offering their courses online only. I think we're going to see that that actually can be done in a, in a pretty, uh, pretty good fashion, a a pretty, uh, you know, complete uh, instruction method, at least for some courses. I mean, obviously if a, athlete or a general student um, if they needed to if they were taking a science course and needed to be on campus to participate in a lab yeah uh, obviously that's going to be difficult Uh, but a lot of other uh, courses I think we're seeing that those can be taught online and and be a more viable option yeah that's great We, we have also seen that here in Australia from a high school scenario and a university scenario of how quickly they were able to move to 
you know, the key word at the moment, pivot <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah. You know, make, make everything still available to their students has been fantastic. Well, they had to, you know, they really didn't have any other option. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Rick, one of, you know, one of the very common questions we get asked um, is that if I go to my college and down the track, I feel like it's not quite the right fit for whatever reason, you know, maybe they've outgrown the program, you know, what are my options? And, and of course we inform them about the opportunity to transfer to another college. And whilst transferring is a perfectly legitimate option, there are some very important factors to be aware of, isn't there? Um, can you share some of the things a student athlete must consider when they're looking to transfer to another college to continue their journey? So when an athlete is thinking about transferring to another uh, college, uh, you know, whether it's to get a better opportunity at playing time or, you know, maybe there was a coaching change and they don't fit the new coach's scheme or style of play. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here, some of the key factors that an athlete needs to keep in mind is, first of all, do not start contacting other schools without getting advice first from your firm, from ours, you know, because if they start contacting other schools before they inform their current coaching staff, that's majority of the time there's going to be negative consequences. Right. The coach is going to be angry. The coach may even remove the athlete from the team. Uh, you know, the athlete thinks, hey, I was just trying to gauge other opportunities and gather information. Mm. And now all of a sudden they've been removed from their team. Right. Uh, so that's a key factor to keep in mind. Uh, as well as the academic requirements to be eligible at a new school. Many times when an athlete transfers, not all of the academic credits that they've earned will be accepted at the new college. Yes. So that's another factor to keep in mind. And then, uh, and then another point is, um, you know, athletic scholarships are awarded by each particular school. So if an athlete was receiving an athletic scholarship at school A, there's no guarantee that there will be a scholarship available at school B or that it will be at the same level. Right. Um, so those are some of the key things to keep in mind. So it's important to, you know, get advice before taking any action, you know, with regards to a transfer, essentially. Yeah. Def definitely so. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Now we can all we can often advise an athlete of and their parents of things to be aware of. You know, possible pitfalls. Here's the things you should consider before you let anybody know you're thinking about a transfer. And I might add, not sharing that information. Being very cautious not to share what you're thinking with your roommates, your teammates, mm. your girlfriend, your boyfriend, <laughs> somehow yeah. word can filter back to your current coach and yeah. that can, and that can anger the coach. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's respect too, isn't it? You know, respect for, um, you know, the current situation that you're in, 
you know, and respecting that as a part of the process of, of transferring out. Yes. Well, and, and I might add many times, not all the time, hmm. but many times, you know, coaches will, they, they may be angry at first, but many times they will understand, Hey, maybe a transfer is a good idea for this particular athlete. Hmm. And many times they will be willing if, if you are fair to them and you treat them right and treat them with respect, hmm. uh, they will help you find another school. You know, they may call a, a coaching colleague at another school and, you know, say, Hey, you know, this athlete, it just didn't work out for them here, but I think they'd fit your style of play at your university. You know, if you yeah. want to, you know, if you want to discuss with them the possibility of them joining your program. Yeah. That's a really good point. Really good point. Um, Rick, we, Sometimes when we talk about eligibility, it can have um, fearful or negative connotations because like a lot of things in the world, you only hear the bad stories, you know? Um, so to wrap up our chat, I'd, I'd love you to share with our listeners a feel-good story or two where you've been able to prolong a student-athlete's collegiate career through your advice and guidance. You're happy to share something. Uh, no, I, I appreciate the question, and, and uh, I have a couple of situations that, that come to mind. Um, the, the first one is a situation I had a couple of years ago advising uh, an athlete. Actually, I was talking to the athlete's father, and this athlete needed to transfer to a new school and the uh, school, um, the coaching staff at the school was in contact with this athlete. He had, he had gone about the transfer the right way. Mm. He had requested permission to contact other schools and a couple of other schools were, were then in contact with this athlete. And one school was, was extremely interested in having this athlete join their football team. Well, mm. their compliance director uh, at this school, the person responsible, you know, for making sure they meet all of the eligibility requirements and meet all of the transfer rules to be eligible at the new school. Um, this compliance uh, director at this school was misinterpreting one of the rules. And I, and I don't, and I don't say that to, uh, to place any any disrespect on that compliance yeah. person, they were they were a young individual. They were fairly new in the profession, and they had overlooked this one rule. and uh, And so uh, the father uh, gave me, and of course we treat all clients confidentially and all of their mm -hmm. information. So the father gave me permission to call the school directly on his son's behalf. And I was able to talk with that compliance person and say, hey, there's one rule you're overlooking here. And uh, it did help this athlete become eligible at the new school. Uh, so that's one that I recall. Yeah. And then another one is, um, and actually this is, uh, I should mention this, especially with, with the COVID-19 situation. So there are, um, there are waivers that are available uh, for athletes uh, who encounter uh, situations where uh, maybe they uh, were injured during a season 
maybe they even missed two seasons. Maybe the athlete had the terrible misfortune of maybe they had a ACL tear in their knee one year, and then maybe they had a shoulder surgery another year. Right. Uh, in those situations, uh, it's possible to get an additional year of eligibility added uh, for that athlete. And we've helped a number of athletes to, to advise them on the steps they need to follow, the type of documentation they need uh, so that they can uh, receive another year of eligibility. Uh, so, uh, And that must be rewarding, Rick, because you would think that there would be a lot of athletes that might not know about that potential waiver. And when, you know, as a part of sport, injury hits, you know, it's, it's a part of being an athlete. So the disappointment of missing a season to find out that they can get that back, you know, is, is, is exceptional. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and of course, like many of these other uh, rules and situations we've talked about, there's limitations on those on the number yeah. of, competitions that the athlete can compete in and still qualify uh, you know they have to have documentation regarding the seriousness of the injury that it truly was serious enough that it ended their season early mm -hmm. those types of things but you know when they fit the guy when an athlete's situation fits the guidelines and they have the necessary supporting documentation uh, they can they can sometimes receive an additional season so that they can they don't have to end their season with an injury they can perhaps have another season to return towards the end yeah that and you that must give you such a sense of um, I suppose you know reward we see in our you know in our job that we do all day every day so many great outcomes you know where a student athlete can can live out their dream you know and to be able to do that after injury you know and to be able to assist people with that must be very rewarding rick you know it's it's been very interesting the the move from when i was a compliance director on campus mm -hmm. uh, responsible for you know all of the nca rules not only academic eligibility requirements but the recruiting rules the coaches had to follow and when they can start yeah. practicing for their season all of those myriad of rules and and uh, so many times you know i had to say no you can't do this no you can't do that no this is not permissible and so yeah. Now in this role where we exclusively are trying to help athletes and families to maximize their opportunities, yeah. uh, it's, it's definitely been uh, much more enjoyable. That's than, right. than being Finding in, solutions. That's right. Than being, uh, compared to being in the role on campus where you kind of had to, to be the, wear the black hat and be the enforcer uh, sometimes. Yeah. This is definitely more enjoyable. Yeah, that's great. Well, Rick, thank you so much, you know, for your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you and I'm sure, um, you know, I, I speak on behalf of our listeners because it's such, um, it's such a big topic, eligibility with this pathway. And as for our international student athletes, it's not something that we're, we're brought up with, you know, like the American 
high school students. So, um, you know, I really thank you for your insight today and, and giving us, you know, so much to think about and consider, you know, we really appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure to join you today. I've enjoyed the discussion. Thanks, Rick. You take care. You too. Have a great day. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91